One way that you can tell that God is present in a place is the singing. Did you know that? And the last few Sundays, we have just been singing from our hearts. And, and it's just so uh, awesome to feel the presence of God when we're singing. Every great move of God has been, coming, been accompanied by people who sang from their hearts to the Lord. It's such a blessing to hear you sing and to sing with you. As from our hearts, we glorify God. We sang a song that absolutely, in a sense, is the heart of my message. Now, now stay with me. This is very, very important. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Now, there are two things about a friend. Stay with me. One, you talk to them. Two, you like to be in their presence. And three, you know they're always there for you. So what does it mean to be a friend of God? That you talk with him? That you enjoy his presence? And you know he's always there. Always there. So I want you to keep that in mind. You know, I feel led to share this. And you'll take it in the spirit I share it. I struggle every week as to what I'm supposed to preach on Sunday. I don't have a plan. I don't have a system. I just start praying and uh, say, all right, Lord, I need a rhema. I need a personal word for the congregation Sunday. I, I said, I don't, and, and really, I'm, I'm just sitting on zero 90% of the time. Well, as I struggled during the week about what to preach this morning, I went through two or three different things. And I thought, well, this is it. And then I thought, this is it. And then I thought, this is it. And then I picked a message out that I was going to preach that I'd preached years ago. And God said, that's not it. I said, Lord, you're making it hard. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> but I just started reading uh, Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer and some other things. And so Saturday morning, I went up in my study and I'd, I'd had all this going on in my heart. And I did what I usually do. I just got uh, out a legal pad and I started writing. Really didn't know where I was going. I had thoughts and ideas, but just started writing. And it was one of those experiences that when I got through, I was overwhelmed by the presence of God. That I just sense that God, it's like God was just guiding my hand. And I'm not saying that this is any special sermon or anything. I'm not saying that. But I'll tell you, I was so awed by the presence of God when I finished. The Holy Spirit said, you just go lie on your face. Just go lie on your face. And you worship me and thank me. For this word. That's exactly what I did. And I pray today that you'll hear it in your heart. I want to speak about a seeking heart. A seeking heart. If you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah uh, Psalm 63. And we'll see this about a seeking heart. 
This is Old Testament. So the writer could not know the presence of God like we know it. Now, do you, re- you do realize that we have it on the Old Testament saints. They would occasionally get in the presence of God. But we, we live in the presence of God. We live there as believers. We live there. He not only lives in us, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, but then we live in the presence of God. And, and, and this is a, a picture of a seeking heart. First Psalm 63. Listen carefully. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Listen to this. My soul thirsts for you. He said, God, I'm thirsty for you. You know, people are thirsty for a lot of things. But oh, to be thirsty for God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. Man, you're talking about passion. He said, Lord, I'm thirsty for you. I'm longing for you. The picture of a seeking heart. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I looked for you. I love this. In the sanctuary. Evidently he would go to the tabernacle. The outer court. He said I looked for you. In the sanctuary. Let me ask you. When you come on Sunday morning. Are you looking for God? I hope the music's good. I hope brother Fred doesn't put me to sleep. But I want to ask you. Are you looking for God? He said I looked for you. In the sanctuary. To see your power. He said, I want to see your power and your glory. He said, because your loving kindness, he's talking about God's mercy. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul will be satisfied with marrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on on my bed, I will meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I rejoice. Now look at verse 8. My soul follows close behind you. The night beholds us. He said, my soul follows close behind you. He was seeking God. He had a heart that wanted to know God. And so this morning, let's just talk about how that applies to us in our daily life. First of all, I'm talking to to people who are Christians. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You not only live in this physical world, you live in a spiritual world. And you commune with God, and God communes with you. You're citizens of two worlds, the visible and the invisible, the temporary and the spiritual. Now, the truth is that, the, that they're both real worlds. The temporal that we live in right now with all of its demands, but more real is the spiritual. It's invisible. There's the visible, but there's the invisible. 
And the invisible world is where Christians live. In that they know God. They can't see him, but they know him. They love Jesus, but they've never seen him. They talk to him. He talks to them. He's called Father. And a father is close. And a father understands. And a father's available. And so in the Christian realm, it talks about the fact that we, 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 we live in the presence of God. Now the question is, do you and I in our daily life, do we experience the presence of God? That, that's the thing. That we not only, well, Lord, I know you're here, and I know I'm in your presence. And I'm not talking about just an emotion now. And I'm not talking about a state in which you live at all times. But I, I'm asking you, do you experience the presence of God in your life? You say, well, Brother Fred, I experienced God's presence in, in the worship service this morning. I sensed God's presence. David was telling me that on Wednesday night, the Spirit of God was so heavy in the youth service that he said that he, he felt led to say to the young people, now those of you who want to get up and leave can leave, but those who, who still have some things to talk to God about stay. Guess what? They stayed. Why? They were in the presence of God. God's presence had become real to them. You know, now let me tell you why. The difference between an Old Testament saint and a New Testament Christian. They would experience the presence of God in the Old Testament. We live in the presence of God. If you want to, turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. And you, this is a very familiar story to you, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But it is very, very important. In Hebrews chapter 10, we have uh, the clear reason why we can live in the presence of God. Now I want you to walk with me through the tabernacle, okay? That was the center of worship for the Israelites, the people of God, the descendants of Abraham. Okay, there was an outer court. And the people would bring their offering to God, to the outer court. Whether it be a lamb, a dove, some type of incense, they would bring their, their offering to the outer court. And the priest would take that offering and put it on the altar and offer it up to God. And they could go there and experience cleansing and washing. But then there was another room called the holy place. Now into the holy place, the priest went every day. Now, if you weren't, if you weren't a Levitical priest, you, you couldn't go in there. All you could do was come to the outer court and let God take care of you and, and offer a sacrifice for your sin and worship for God. But the priest went into the holy place every day. On one time was the table of showbread, Jesus the bread of life. On another, the other side was the seven golden lampstands, a picture of Jesus, the light of the world. At the back was an altar of incense, a picture of the unceasing, unceasing prayers of Jesus. But then there was the veil. You're familiar with this. This is not anything new to you. There was the veil. It was six inches thick and ten feet high. Inside the veil was the presence of God. It's called the Shekinah glory of God. But you know, nobody could go in there but once a year. Now listen to me. Nobody could go in there 
There was the uh, Ark of the Covenant. There was the mercy seat. There were the cherubim. And I'm telling you, you ask any uh, Israelite, where's the presence of God? Oh, they said, in the holy of holies. But they couldn't go in. And it's, it's his presence that makes life worth living. But once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, the great high priest, would prepare himself and would go into to the Holy of Holies. They'd push that veil open. He would go into the Holy of Holies. He would sprinkle the mercy seat seven times with the blood of a lamb and would come out and the sins of the people had been paid for or, or, or cared for for one year. And as long as that veil was in place, y'all, it meant that we were not open to go in the presence of God. Now look in Hebrews 10. It says in verse 11, verse 12, But this man, Jesus, and he offered one sacrifice for sin forever, set down at the right hand of God. Now here's Jesus on the cross, Offering one sacrifice for all sin forever. And he sat down because it was finished. And then you go over to uh, verse 14. And this is an awesome statement. By one offering himself. By one offering of himself on the cross. By one offering. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I mean forever. Okay. Now you know what happened there. You remember in John 19, 30, Jesus was on the cross and he was fixing to go to be with the Father and he cried, Tetelestai. He cried what? It is, it is, it's finished. It's finished. And the miraculous thing was this. When he cried, it is finished, one sacrifice for sin forever. When he cried, by one offering he's perfected forever, those who are being sanctified. When he cried, it is finished, holy God reached down from heaven, grabbed that six-inch thick scarlet veil, and he ripped it in two. And now, the common man, every person, had access into the presence of God. They could go into the holy of holies. And they could experience God's presence. And worship God in spirit and in truth. So you see. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We have the blessed privilege. Of living in the holy of holies. You say brother Fred does it say that? Now don't miss, don't miss this now. Verse 19. I often say this when I pray. Because it gives you confidence when you pray. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. He said, man, you don't have to stay in the outer court. You don't have to stay in the holy place. Man, you can go into the holy of holies through the blood of Jesus. All I got to say is hallelujah. You enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By that new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having, a, and having a high priest, verse 21 of Hebrews 10, over the house of God, let us draw near. We can draw near to the very presence of God. 
Christ in us and the Holy Spirit, but in the very, living in the very presence of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience with the blood of Jesus and our bodies washed with pure water. I love that. Having confidence to enter the presence of God with boldness. Now listen. You know, we, we need to understand that we need to seek. We live in his presence. He's in us. Jesus lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. But every day, we need to seek the presence of God. To seek his mind, to talk to him, to listen to him, to follow him. You see... This thing of being a Christian is 24-7. We live in the spiritual world 24-7. And it affects our life in the visible world. And the key is we live in the presence. He's not only present in us, but we live in his presence. I want to talk to you about seeking the presence of God. You know, it all begins with God. Now, you, you, you better listen to this or you'll, you'll misunderstand and think I'm going in a different direction theologically, but I'm not. It all begins with God. Any spiritual thing that occurs in you, God initiates it. God initiates it. And a lost person, how does God initiate things? See, it all begins with God. Living in his presence, enjoying his presence. It all begins with God. You take a person who's not saved. The Bible says they're spiritually dead, without hope, strangers from the covenant of promise. So you take a person who's not a Christian. Well, high in the world, they're spiritually dead. How are they going to ever know God? But you see, the gospel, the word of God, the gospel, the living word of God, is proclaimed or taught, and the Spirit of God initiates or awakens the soul of that man or woman. And he draws them. Now, you, you know why I know that? Now, you need to listen to this. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. So who is it that initiates a work in the heart of an unsaved person. It's God. Nobody's saved apart from God initiating that work in their heart. So what, how does he do it? It's all of God. He convicts them of their sin. And then by his spirit, he convicts them of sin. And by his spirit, he draws them. He draws them. Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him. He draws them to Christ. He removes the blindness from over their eyes. The Bible says the glorious light of the gospel of Christ has shone in our hearts. So he convicts them, the unsaved person. He draws them, and then he illuminates them. He reveals to them Christ. And they are at a point where they can say yes to Jesus or no to Jesus. There are those that say, no, you're going to have to say yes. It's called irresistible grace. That's not true. God, in his sovereignty, created us with a will. 
and in all the work of Jesus to convict us and draw us and reveal to us who Christ is, now we have an opportunity to say yes or no. Does God know who's going to say yes? Oh yeah, or he wouldn't be God. But listen to me. God wants every person to say yes. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He gave him a ransom for many. So salvation is initiated by God. And if a person responds by saying yes in repentance of sin and yes to Jesus, they're born again. They're born into the family of God. God is their father and they are God's children and they now live in two worlds. They live in the spiritual world and they live in the visible world. But now, let me just show you. You might say to me, well, Brother Fred, I tell you what, I can be saved anytime I want to. You're wrong. What if the Spirit of God doesn't convict you? What if the Spirit of God doesn't draw you? What if the Spirit of God doesn't open your eyes? No. Let me tell you what the Bible says. In Genesis 6, 3, right before he destroyed the world with the flood, you know what he said? My spirit will not always strive with man. God said, there'll come a time that I won't strive with you. You know what it says in Proverbs uh, chapter 6? Uh, I think it's verse 24. He that often being reproved hardens his heart shall suddenly be cut off and that without remedy. You see, we respond to what God initiates and praise God. But I hope there never comes the time in your life when God no longer strives with you and God no longer draws you. You know, to show you that it's all of God. Let me read you two verses. I'm going to move now from getting saved to walking in the presence of God. But I want to show you uh, perhaps two of the most significant verses in all the Bible. In Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to go to verse 9. And if you don't have your Bible, just listen to me carefully. God initiates everything. It all begins with God. Salvation, sanctification, knowing, growing spiritually. But in, 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 in Philippians 2, it says, verse 9, talking about Jesus humbling himself and going to the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name. Hallelujah. God's exalted Jesus. And he has a name above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. Of those in heaven, those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Glory to the Father. But wait a minute. He says, but let me tell you something. As you grow as a Christian, God's going to initiate things in your life. And if you're going to grow, then you've got to respond to what God initiates. Look down in verse 12. Now, these two verses, 
It helped me tremendously when I saw this. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed in my presence, but now much more in my absence. You obeyed God when I was with you. I've been gone. You're obeying God more now than you did then. He says, much more in my absence. Now listen to this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He said, now God has, you know, you've obeyed him and and he's Lord. He said, now you obeyed when I was there. You obeyed when I wasn't there. Now you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But look at the next verse. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. He said, now, what God works in, you work out. You say, well, Brother Fred, I've been feeling a desire to go deeper with God in prayer. That's God working in you. That's coming from God. And what God works in, you to obey and work out. You know, it's pastor, it's just been strange that in the last time I've sensed a, a need to, to, to press into God, to know Jesus better, to be a, a friend of God. I, I just feel a drawing. Hey, guess what? That's God that's working that in you. See, every good thing in us, God works it in. But, that, but we have a choice. He says, uh, for, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Both to will, I want to do it, Lord, and to do, I will do it, Lord, by your power for his good pleasure. So it all begins with God. God initiates it. Now, let's go on and talk about, uh, as a Christian, about the seeking heart. You know, uh, the Bible says that we live in two worlds. The invisible world, which is the spiritual world. It's the kingdom of God. And then the visible world, where you go to work, where you live, who your neighbors are. So we, we, we're citizens of two worlds, but no, what happens is a Christian begins to understand that the invisible is more real than the visible. Now listen to what Paul said. He was going through a trial in his life, and he always was. He said, this light affliction, which is but for a moment, works in me a far more exceeding weight of glory. And then he said it. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm not looking at the things that are seen. I'm looking at the things that are unseen. For the things that I can see are temporal. But the things that I can't see are eternal. You see, you know, the world does not understand Christians. I'm talking about a genuine Christian. Now, I'm not talking about a religious person, person that goes to church on Sunday morning, punches in at 11, punches out at 12, and goes on and lives his own life. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody that knows God, somebody that's been born again, somebody that's been changed, radically changed by Jesus. And he is not on the fringe of their life. He is their life. And so what happens is this. Instead of being controlled by the visible world, we're controlled by Jesus, who is Lord of the unseen or invisible world. And Jesus Christ controls us 
And uh, we know him, and we talk to him, and we fellowship with him, and he is our friend. And so we do in the visible world what Jesus tells us to do in the invisible world. Well, why do you act that way? I mean, most people don't act that way. Well, it's because of my relationship with Jesus. I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a Christian. Well, see what you're saying to them, and, and as kind as you know how, listen, I, I just don't, I, I, this, this is not my home. Th this is not where I'm going to stay. I'm passing through here. And I'm not, li I live in this world, but my citizenship is in heaven. And, and I, I'm living in the spiritual world, and I, and I do what Jesus tells me to do. I go where Jesus tells me to go. I love the way Jesus tells me to love. And I do, hey. And so, it is God that works in us to seek him in the spiritual realm. To seek him in the spiritual realm. And to get to know him. And to have fellowship with him. And for him to be our best friend. Now, let me say something to you. This is a tragedy. In the world that we live in today, there are a lot of religious people. And this is what they say. I, I got two lives. I've got two lives. I've got my secular life. And in my secular life, I go to work, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. I, I've got my secular life, but then, but then, no, I mean, I've got my sacred life. I've got my religious life. Now, they're two different worlds, but I got both of them. Wrong, absolutely wrong, totally wrong. No, no. We, we live in two worlds, but we are controlled by one world. And listen to me very carefully. I want to show you something. God is intimately interested in everything you do. He is interested in everything you do. You say, oh, listen, Brother Fred, God gets involved in the big things of life, but the little teeny things in life, I mean, it's not a, no big deal what I do at work. It's not no big deal what I do in my social life. That's no big deal. I mean, hey, I, I mean, God's not interested. Wait a minute. Can I give you a verse? Let me show you how interested God is. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, Whatever you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. What? He said, listen, whatever you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. I mean, you can't get any more common or simple than eating and drinking. And then you get over in the book of Colossians. And I'll tell you, these verses are profound. Uh, I, I want you to listen. See, we live in the invisible world. We're saved. We live in a spiritual world. But we live in a visible world. But what we do is controlled by Jesus Christ. Because we know him and by the Father who we live in his presence. Listen at this. This is Colossians 3, verse 16 and 17. Now, I'm reading the word of God, y'all. So you say, Brother Fred, I think you're wrong. The spiritual world has nothing to do with my visible or material world. Well, you're going to find out it's totally wrong. Listen to this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let God's word dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching, 
and, it, and, it, and admonishing one another in psalms. That's what we did today. Hymns, we did it today. And spiritual songs. Singing with, mel- singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. He said, encourage one another, admonish one another, teach one another. Let the word of God dwell in you richly and you sing unto the Lord. But here's the next verse. It says in verse 17, and whatever you do, I looked up that word whatever. It means whatever. Okay, that's what it means, whatever. It's not hard to understand. What part of whatever do you not understand? Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All through my years of ministry, people want you to define right or wrong for them. They don't need uh, me to do that. Uh, the word of God is plain. But they would, some of them would, would really be struggling. They would really be struggling. And they would come to me and say, Brother Fred, I'm struggling with this. And I don't know it's right, whether it's right or wrong. Most of the time they know it's wrong. And they're hoping I'll give them an out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. 90% of the time. I say, well, let's talk about it. You're struggling with this. Let me give you a verse. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to the Father by him. I tell you what, you write that down, what you want to do, and then if you can sign Jesus' name to it, then you do it. But if you can't sign Jesus' name to it, you'd be embarrassed to sign Jesus' name to it. Then you can't do it. And see, that wasn't me giving my opinion. It just says, whatever you do. In word, do it all in the name of Jesus. What a ho- holy, holy name. Giving thanks to the Father by him. And then he says it again, that, that we, we live in the spiritual world, but it affects our life in the visible world. All right, look at verse 23 of Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not to men. Okay, all right, we, we need to seek God, to seek his presence in the spiritual world. Let me give you a couple of verses. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, God, God is, is, is not untouchable. He's spirit, but also he's our father, he's a person. He said, well, won't you just do this? Why don't you taste and see that the Lord is good? Boy, I love this. Psalm 16. In your presence, God, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Wow. The presence of God. And the Bible encourages us to seek the presence of God. You know, there was a book that came out a few years ago. I read it, and it greatly touched my life. I don't know what happened to it. I wish I still had it. I would have read it. It was called The God Chasers. The God Chasers. That here's a person that gets saved, and for the rest of their life, they chase after God. 
That's another way of seeking God, to know Him better and to love Him more and to be more intimate. Man, what, what a thing to be is to be a God chaser. But now, let me talk about living and knowing God's presence. You may be thinking, Brother Fred, I, I, are you talking about an emotion? No, it's deeper than that. It's just the awareness that I'm living in the presence of holy God. He loves me. I can talk to him. He'll talk to me. I'm never without him. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He's promised me his presence and his peace. So it's just a matter of you being aware that you're living in his presence. Well, you say, well, I, I, I don't know anything about that. All right, let, let me tell you a couple of reasons. And, and, and I'm not being ugly when I say this, but I'm just saying, well, what? You know, I don't walk around with goosebumps on me all the time, say, hallelujah, I'm in the presence of God. Some days I drag around and I'm discouraged, okay? No, you're too spiritual to do that, but anyway, I do it. I'm talking about in the presence of God, but he's always there, and he's always listening, and he's always available, and he wants me to talk to him, he wants me to trust him, he wants me to be his friend. But you know, you say, well, I can't get it because... There's some people that they only know Christ intellectually. They only know him intellectually. Well, this world tells me there's a God. The heavens declare the glory. This world, created world, tells me there's a God. There's a God. And so, therefore, I need to know that God and worship that God. And so, uh, I believe in you, God. And, and, and I know you're there. And... Uh, I may even go to church some, but see, what I'm talking about, the matter of seeking God, is far more than intellectual. It's much deeper than that. You can have an intellectual belief in God and you never experience Him. Well, there, there's another thing. A lot of people try to experience God through rites, ceremonies, rituals, and usually it's directed by their, quote, church. And they say, now let's, let's go through the rite, let's go through the ritual, let's go through the ceremony, and you will meet God. Not necessarily. See, what they, they've substituted for intimate fellowship with God, an intellectual belief, our religious belief of rites, ceremonies, traditions, and so forth. But knowing Jesus, knowing the Father, goes far beyond that. Far beyond that. And so I'm saying to you that we need to seek God with our whole heart. Now, you know, so oftentimes we seek his hand. Lord, I need a job. He says, I love you and I'll help you. Lord, I need healing. He says, I love you. And I'll touch you. And God is not offended when we seek his hand. He told us to. He said, ask, ask, ask. So God's not offended when you take your burdens to him and your cares to him and your heartaches to him and your needs to him. If you don't take them to God, you're in trouble. But you know what God wants? He wants us to seek him for who he is. He wants us to seek God himself. Lord, I'm seeking you. To know you, to fellowship with you, to experience your presence. 
Lord, I, I'm just seeking you for your, who you are. You know, if, if, a, if a man said to his wife, you mean so much to me because you cook and you clean up and, and you're nice to me, and so I'm so thankful for you. She said, well, is there anything else? No, I'm just thankful for what you do for me. Can I make a statement? He might as well go ahead and pack. <laughs> you need to tell her, I, I, I'm glad to be because I love you for who you are. Did you hear what I said? I love you for who you are. I'm not interested in what you can do for me. I'm interested in knowing you as a person and having intimate fellowship with you. Let me just show you one thing and I'm going to wind it up. Paul never got satisfied. Paul was a God chaser. He constantly was seeking after God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 2. And uh, it'll be so clear. It's Philippians 3 verse 7. Now listen to Paul. And I'm just going to summarize these verses. In verse 7 through 9, he talked about what he gave up for Jesus. I mean, I'll just read it. He said, what things were gained to me that were important to me, I lost them all for Christ. And he did. Yea, indeed, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as trash that I may win Christ. Be found in him. He said, that's my passion, to be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness of God, which is through faith. And then he says it. Listen to verse 10. I gave it all up. I let it all go. That I might be found in Jesus, in his righteousness. He said, but I want you to know my passion, that I may know him. Paul, if you didn't know him, didn't nobody know him. Come on, man. I mean, you knew, you, you knew Jesus like no other than Jesus himself. You, I, I'm telling you. He said, oh, you don't understand. I've not arrived, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. Oh, I, I'm, I'm chasing after God. That might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his, of his sufferings. And then he goes on and says, Brethren, I've not, I do not, uh, I, I, I have not apprehended. I've not attained. I'm not where I want to be. I'm still chasing after God. But I press on. Hey, that's it. You say, Brother Fred, I don't know him like I want to know him. I'm not, I don't experience him like I want to experience him. Well, listen, press on. Press on. Press on. He says, I haven't attained, but I press toward the mark that I may lay hold for that which Christ has laid hold for me. He said, I'm pressing toward the goal. Okay. Seek after God. Not what he can do, but seek God for who he is. Seek his presence. As a child of God, that is your privilege. Now, this message is taking a little longer than I thought, but I'm going to take three minutes here because this is so important. Why is it, boy, this is strong. You talk about convicting me. Why is it that some people, they're Christians. They love God. They love his word. 
Occasionally, they experience God's presence in a corporate fellowship like this. They know that God is here. But personally, it never happens. You know why? While the veil in the temple has been torn in two, the veil in their heart has never been torn in two. See, that can be a veil in your heart. You say, Brother Fred, there can be a veil in my heart that keeps me from experiencing the presence of God. Yes, there can be. And I hate to say this in many people. It's that, you know what it is? It is the veil of self. In other words, we've never torn that veil of self in two and said, Jesus, it's not about me. It's all about you. And I want you to know I take myself to the cross and I put it to death. I crucify my flesh with its affections and desires. And see, you don't understand why you never get to where you want to be with God. It's because self in your life has been unjudged. You've never judged it. You've never taken it to the altar and said, God, I die to myself. I want myself to be in the place of death. And let me tell you what self is. It's not what you do, it's what you are. Self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-glory, self-promotion. In other words, you, you've allowed that, oh, that veil of self. You never judged it. You've never took it to Jesus and let him put you to death in your self-life. And basically, the root is you're still living for yourself. And then you wonder, well, why isn't God real to me? Why can't I? Because, friend, listen. Self has to die for Jesus to live. As long as self is on the throne, there's a veil in your heart. But when self gets on the cross and Jesus gets on the throne, then heaven opens and you can experience the presence of God. Now, I'm going to tell you. There have been times in my life that you need to listen to me, that I've been dry. I, didn't, I, I just wondered where God was. Times in my life where it was just, just wasn't right. But you know what I found every time? The problem wasn't on God's end. The problem was on my end. Because I had allowed self to get back on the throne of my heart. And unless, until I dealt with self... And took it to the cross and asked Jesus to put it to death. It, I was always dry and, in, and it was pretty much drudgery. But I'm telling you, when the veil is down in your heart and Jesus is on the throne of your heart, this matter of seeking God and knowing him, you not only chase God, but you catch him. And boy, that's what Christianity is all about. Living in the presence of of God, experiencing him in his fullness, knowing that he's always there and that he's my father and he wants to bless me. Jesus said, this is my last verse. Jesus said, if you keep my words, I will come to you and I will manifest myself to you. This is John 14, 23 and 24. You need to look it up when you get home. He said, Jesus said, if you love me and you keep my commandments, I, I, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to manifest myself to you. Oh, but listen to verse 24. Jesus said, if you love me, then you love my father. 
Now get this, get this. And said, we will come and make our home with you. We'll come and just make our home with you. You read John 14, 23. Man, that's enough to make anybody shout. I'm telling you, listen. He said, if you keep my word, it's true you love me, then I'll manifest myself to you. And he said, in fact, if you love me, you love my father. And we'll just come and we'll make our home with you. And there's a little tract, my heart, God's home.